Welcome to the first inaugural Arma Metrocast. Actually, first inaugural. I'm repeating myself already. Anyway, I'm Lauren Barnes, and I am your host. The New York City Metro Arma chapter is launching an entirely new program to get the word out about information, records, management of these things, the governance, and we want to share our thoughts, your thoughts, out loud, literally out loud. So thank you for listening. Um, it's, it's a pretty exciting venture. I have to thank um, the, the uh, inspiration and the power of fantastic editing to Gene Stackoff for um, bringing this to the opportunity uh, or this opportunity to all of us and especially to me. This is great fun to even think to do this, let alone actually doing it. So we are honored and or, or plain lucky or just way so smart to have our very first interview with none other than Frank Lasorsa of Kelly Dry and Warren. Frank is going to talk about a little later on what he does there, um, but what he has done for the chapter is significant. Uh, he has been um, the chapter president. Uh, uh, this is going back a couple of years, but not that many years. He also was a um, an amazing um, professional development vice president and really brought a lot of good new ideas to the chapter that we are still leveraging to this day. And and he's he, he knows his stuff in all ways. And so thank you very much for listening to this, but especially thank you to you, Frank, for joining us on this very first Arma Metrocast. So here we are at one of our favorite spots, Tavern 29. Indeed, having a beer, having some lunch, but more importantly, to talk to you about our favorite world, or it's my favorite world. Is it your favorite world, the world of records and information management? Ah, uh, yes, it is definitely my favorite world, and I am so honored to be the first of Lauren's interviewees and this is actually my first podcast as well. I have no idea what a podcast is, but I hope this doesn't end up someplace where I don't want it to end up. Uh, good point. So those stories about you-know-who, we really can't tell here, right? Absolutely not. We never know. Yeah, so um, given those stories, um, I guess one of the things that I find to be both reassuring and, and, and hilarious all at the same time are our war stories, which take on, you know, different facets. And um, though I have briefly worked in a law firm in records, I, it's not where I am most familiar. I've been in a corporate settings and others. But your world has been primarily in a law firm setting. So I would imagine you've had some pretty great, hilarious, irritating war stories. I have, I have, and it's um, almost a daily occurrence these days, and one of the reasons why I mentioned worrying about where this podcast may end up is um, 
my firm, like many other firms, has uh, instituted legal hold policies where often information is being held without person knowing that it's being held, as recently was the case with uh, one of our shareholders. And um, very concerned about information that we were keeping that he was sensitive to. Yikes. Wow. Now, that's interesting. Is there an ethical obligation to inform people, do you think? I mean, not that it would be your pay grade to make that decision, but just for discussion, do you think there's an ethical obligation to inform? I do think there is an ethical obligation to inform. And many of the new products that are on the market now that um, uh, institute and in some cases notify um, have features around that built in. I think it is a good idea, and I think it is the ethical thing to do to notify people that they're in a hold, and even to the point where you're letting them know uh, the circumstances around the hold. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Um, so, in then in your environment, notwithstanding the your pay grade would not allow you to make such decisions, although. If you do have that pay grade, lunch is on you, right? Um, but um, do, you, do you think that in your role, and of course, just to make sure everyone knows Frank's role, he is the records and information manager for Kelly Dry. Um, he's also the conflicts manager. Uh, I'm sure there is a very fancy, long, long and detailed title around all that. But fundamentally, that's what I know that is your role at Kelly Dry. Can you correct me on that, just for the sake of the record? Yeah. So for the record, my actual title is Director of Records and Compliance. And um, the compliance part is very much becoming more and more part of my daily life. Records, um, fortunately, um, has, has become self-managed to a large extent, so a large part of my day is occupied with the compliance side of my job. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that, that boy, that's very interesting. Um, so, so in this role, going back to that ethical question of notifying, um, do, do you see yourself as an influencer within your firm about, around this? I do. I see myself as an influencer. Um, I see myself as being a reminder of all of our professional and ethical obligations around a lot of these things, which often people forget. So that I see as being a big part of my job. And the reminding goes not only to the constituents, but to the higher pay grade. And by the way, who is paying for this lunch? I thought it was Gene paying for this lunch. Uh, to people with a higher pay grade, that can be even more of an influencer who frequently feels squeamish about having to do that part of their job. So I push them a little. Huh. Yeah, isn't that, I, I find that interesting. And I, I guess I would pose out back out to the world at large, at least among us records and information managers, you know, sort of the roles that we do take on because, I don't know, the, the, the records
records. I mean, it's completely, you know, integrated. It's part of everyday life. It's part of every workday process. Um, you know, I, I often say people do records management even when they don't know they're doing records management. And, and sometimes they're doing it well, actually. Not always, for sure, which is why we're around. But, um, you know, it, it, it really is part of everyday life. And, and I do find interesting, you know, as part of the CRM exam, for instance, that there's a code of ethics. And, and personally, I took that quite, quite seriously. And I, I, I'm willing to bet that outside of records managers as a profession, very few people recognize that that records managers hold you know a frankly a vaunted ethical position in any organization uh, otherwise you know we could get away with you know stuff yeah I, I find that um, the ethics around any pro- any profession and this is actually going to be part of my segment of um, a March 10th uh, um, New York um, Metro all-day educational event, which I'm sharing with um, Judge Ron Hedges and Mark Berman, a New York uh, uh, attorney. Um, I see that the ethics for all professions have a lot of overlap, and really it's not that much different, whether you're an attorney, a records manager, or any other professional person. The rules that you have to abide by are not that different from any other group. And in a lot of ways, it ties into our basic business principles, the principles for records managers and the accounting principles for accountants. They're really very tied into your daily practices and procedures. Think, think around the issue of this information governance, and I will be perfectly candid with anyone who's willing to listen that uh, to me it can be viewed as a buzzword information governance because indeed a good records manager and a good records management program had information governance and governance in general embedded in whatever you were doing but that said you know it does have a much more far-reaching impact and meaning it it does resonate with folks outside of our field which is always good. So, you know, there's definitely value to both the term and the concept and the practice, for sure. So, but I'm a, I can be a bit of a curmudgeon and look at buzzwords and call them buzzwords. But going to the governance thing is a lot about integrity, our reliance on um, the authenticity of records, um, and, and, and how we are able to be confident of their, um, their value because of th- many of those characteristics. And, and I guess uh, it, the ethics, the governance, all of that gets wrapped up. Um, and, it, and to articulate it separately seems short-sighted. Have you found yourself... Frank, in your world, actually articulating any of this uh, from a governance perspective to an authenticity or integrity or even back to our original ethics question? So um, I haven't really had a chance to articulate a lot of it 
in mass, I've probably had segments where and instances where I've had to articulate parts of it, but I do think that that opportunity will arise in the near future as we become more and more concerned about um, compliance and um, recently we've had some security education uh, that was um, performed by both attorneys and some of our professional people, our security professionals, and it went out to the whole firm, not just the attorneys. And I think those same kind of training sessions will happen in other areas as well, including ethics. And actually, if I ever get done with this podcast, that might be something that I can start to think about preparing. Not that I want to. <laughs> this um, podcast that's going to is going to be part of the March 10th event and 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 future uh, communications out from the New York Metro Arma chapter um, is an opportunity for all of us to have this conversation about any number of things. And I'm really thank you, Frank, so much for being willing to be my my first. We'll 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 see if um, technology is in our favor and this gets recorded adequately. I know y'all that we're in a sort of now what's become a noisy place. Hopefully our dulcet tones are heard over the, the din of, um, of a, a working uh, lunch place in midtown Manhattan. Um, but conversations among our peers, among with, therefore with each other, to, is the lifeblood that I have for being a professional. And I want to I want to thank you again, Frank, for for joining me in the conversation. And thanks for giving me the opportunity. It's fun. Thanks. Thank you, Frank, um, and thank you to, uh, all together for Frank's time. Uh, he's always been generous. What's important for us all to, to realize this funda fundamental nature of uh, records and information managers that the governance of information and our ability to manage it well really does rest on a couple of important principles and not the least of which is, the, is ethics. It's not often talked about, so I'm really glad that we got to hear a little about it from Frank. <coughs> so. I want to turn it now to Jean Stackoff, who will int introduce you to a special friend of the chapter and tell you about a very special project that we're partnering in on this year. Jean? Okay, thank you, Lauren. Uh, I am here with Konstantin Zborowski of uh, the AHRC New York. Konstantin is uh, a friend of mine from outside of ARMA who reached out to the uh, ARMA New York City local chapter with uh, a very interesting um, proposition just this past summer, and we got to know Constantine, got to know AHRC a little bit, and uh, I'm going to introduce him in just a second. Well, Constantine, thank you, first of all, for joining uh, the inaugural Arma Metrocast. This is our very first um, very first podcast. It's a very exciting time for us. Thank you, Gene. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to uh, be part of this launch and to talk a little bit more about the program. I think it's going to be uh, a great fit. Awesome. Well, we're, we're very happy to have you on. Um, so, yeah, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what AHRC is, what you guys do, um, you know, on a regular basis, and, and maybe a little bit more about this program that you uh, you and I have spoken to and you've spoken to a couple of other members uh, about. So take it away. 
All right, thanks. Um, so AHRC is a family-governed organization, family-governed nonprofit specifically. And what that means is that uh, the board of directors is made up entirely of folks who have family that are served by the organization. Now, what the organization does is it assists people with disabilities of varying sorts, primarily intellectual and developmental disabilities and their families um, in a variety of fields. So we serve everything from people in school to workshops for older, uh, older folks on the, um, with disabilities to day treatment programs to community residences and also and kind of at the heart of this specific program, uh, helping with employment opportunities. Um, the Special Eastern Program is the one that I had the pleasure of introducing at uh, an ARMA chapter meeting. And that is a joint partnership with a Danish non-for-profit called Special Eastern. Uh, these guys came over to the U.S. and they feel that uh, folks with autism have some talents that would be valuable in the in the workplace, in the in the workforce, and uh, specifically in STEM fields, fields that tend to be. Um, lacking in, in qualified candidates and I think that uh, it's a very powerful initiative where in about year two now we've had some some pretty good success uh, as background in the first year of the program we launched in November 2013 we have successfully trained and assessed 45 candidates that's individuals with autism um, these are highly functioning folks who can do things like drive cars and most have graduated college um, but have some social deficits. And I'd be happy to touch a little bit more on you know, what exactly autism looks like and what autism in the workplace looks like um, a little bit later on if we have time. Uh, and so we trained 45 of these folks and about uh, 20, 26 of them were placed in employment in the first year. And uh, we are continuing forward. Um, some of our key partners have been uh, Towers Watson, have been Oliver Wyman, and have been uh, IBM. There's some, definitely some names that uh, some of our members would, would probably be <laughs> familiar with. So yeah, just a little <laughs> bit of background. You did present, um, um, we, we gave you a little bit of uh, time at the November meeting, the November chapter meeting, the, the dinner, right. the evening meeting that we had, and you um, kind of gave a, a presentation about the program and, and said a little bit about it. And you know, obviously we're very excited to be involved in this uh, as a chapter, but also you got some really good feedback from some of the attendees that were there. And I know you even met with a, a couple of folks, and this is just a you know just just a wonderful program and, and a great idea. And uh, can you maybe elaborate a little bit on what you mean by highly functioning um, autism? I think there's there's probably a lot of misunderstanding out there for what autism is, what it's not, and maybe can you debunk some myths and just kind of go into the uh, the characteristics of the candidates that you guys deal with and what what you know what's good for them. Sure, sure, of course. So. Um, for, for those of your listeners who may not be familiar with autism, uh, autism is uh, is primarily a social disorder. Um, it can also have elements of, of intellectual or developmental disability, but primarily it's social. Um, it's also, from the name, it's autism spectrum, right? So it's a wide range of uh, potential effects or, um, or, I guess, characteristics that can surface in, in this uh, for, for different folks, right? So we have, uh, our organization serves children and adults who have very severe autism, 
Um, so some may be nonverbal, some may be, uh, you know, some may have difficulty with impulse control and things like that. And then kind of on the other side of it is um, folks who can do pretty much what you and I can do, um, but they experience severe social anxiety. And sometimes this is considered Asperger's syndrome. Uh, sometimes it's codified as autism, and, and it kind of varies a little bit. DSM is always changing. Um, but what specifically we found is that there are a lot of these folks who have gone through college, who have, you know, sometimes excelled in their, in their fields, who may have very great skills in, in things like mechanical engineering or computer science or uh, data analysis, um, quality assurance, these types of areas. And, you know, they've, they've got degrees from some, some really high, uh, highly competitive universities, but after they get out of that very um, regulated and regimented system of, you know, these are the classes I take, these are my professors, this and this, when it comes to entering the job market, they struggle traditionally. And the reason is that for many of these folks, um, their disability is social, presents as social anxiety. So the type of anxiety that you or I might feel, Gene, um, these guys, they feel about 100 times that. Uh, from anything, whether it's going on an interview or applying for a job or anything else along those fields, this is where they struggle. And even though they may be very qualified for some of the positions, you know, what are, what are HR people and hiring managers, managers usually told? They're told hire somebody that is either like you or somebody that you have seen be successful in this field. And unfortunately, many of these guys haven't been successful. And it's easy to kind of think about them as a traditional IT quote-unquote geniuses. Uh, but the truth is that these guys have a lot of interests, right? Some, we have folks who have uh, degrees in music. We have a young lady who has a degree, a master's degree in French. Um, we have people who, uh, you know, art history, music history, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering. Um, it really runs the spectrum, communication, accounting. Uh, so you can see that it's it's very easy to pigeonhole these folks, but um, there's actually a wide array of interests and a wide array of individuals. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, that, that's 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 great insight, Constantine. You know, one of the things that excited me when you told me about the program was just the fact that, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be looked upon as a kind of kind of as charity work, if you will, quote unquote, because a lot of these folks have skill sets that would otherwise be coveted, right, by employers. And in fact, another thing that I've learned in working with you and in doing some individual research is that there's a lot of, there, there are a lot of like very robust programs out there already on the part of law firms and other organizations that actually, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe consult with, maybe not AHRC, but other organizations um, uh, like sure. you guys. And, you know, there's a, so it's, it's very valuable insight, not only the pathological, you know, um, aspects of it, like you mentioned, there's a, an affinity there with Asperger's and some classification challenges sometimes. And, you know, I think a lot of folks just, um, they get a lot of this stuff mixed up. I, I do as well. So mm -hmm. it's, um, it's good to be, you know, elucidated on some of these things. So um, can you tell us maybe how, uh, what would be the next step if any one of our listeners has uh, an idea or just wants to bounce ideas off you or maybe look for ways to get involved with the program, where would they go? Who would they turn to? Sure. Sure. So um, there's a couple of ways to, uh, to get involved. Um, I would say to reach out to our program, um, program manager. Her name is Michelle Shapiro. Uh, that's M-I-C-H-E-L-E 
S-H-A-P-I-R-O. She'll kill me if uh, I don't mention that there's only one L in her name. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but one of the things that we, we can do is we can help organizations who are thinking about putting in maybe a diversity plan or something else along those lines, and we can guide them towards, you know, what are some of the best ways of doing that? What are some watch outs? Um, you know, where is there some funding? Where are there some uh, federal incentives? Where is there some potential for getting funds back? There's a couple of uh, really great governmental programs that can actually pay for the first, uh, I think it's up to 160 hours that an individual is uh, working with a company, so they actually will reimburse the company for that amount. Um, and there's also, uh, on the back end, if an individual is hired by uh, a company, a qualified individual with disabilities, um, at the end of two years, there's, I think, a federal incentive where they get about 25% of the, the total cost of that person's employment back. So there's a whole variety of tax credits and things like that that we can explore and we can help an organization with. Um, but what we can do is, again, you can visit our website. It's ahrcnyc.org. Um, you can also uh, Google Special Easterner. This one's a little bit tougher to spell out. It's uh, S-P-E-C-I-L-I-S-T-E-R-N-E, Special Easterner. Um, if you just Google search it, it'll correct you. Google's great like mm -hmm. that. <laughs> um, and then you can also contact me as well. Um, you can reach out 347 410 2794. Gene, I know this is riveting radio, so I'm sure this is all going to get edited out and go in the show notes. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, but, uh, boy, are you in for surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's, that's, that's terrific. Thank you um, for that information, Constantine. And also, just, our listeners, just so you guys know, you know, we are involved with uh, AHRC. Um, this is something that we started this year, so you can see a lot of um, – you can probably check our website and find, uh, you know, some references to some of the links that Constantine just uh, blurted out to you. And, you know, if you're having a problem finding him or locating myself or anybody, really ask anybody on the Arma Metro NYC board. We're all, we all know what's going on, and we'll point you in the right direction if you have any trouble getting in touch with uh, Constantine or the organization. Um, and I think that, yeah, and I, I think that probably wraps it up for us. So I want to thank you very much, Constantine, for uh, spending time with us on, on the uh, Arma Metricast. And, telling your listeners a little bit about this this wonderful program and we look forward to working with you guys in the future and uh, to the listeners out there we are like i said we're involved with ahrc this year so we expect to see constantine perhaps at some other meetings and maybe even at our march event um that would be excellent. yeah thank you very much man best <laughs> of luck with the program and um we'll see you around uh, see you around thanks so much gene and thank you very much arma you guys have been a pleasure to work with so far special shout out to fred grevin and bryn bowen you guys are great. Hey, there you go. We got our first shout out. <laughs> awesome. Well, Lauren, this does it for me. Back to you now. Thank you, Gene. That's a truly wonderful project for the chapter to be involved in, and we're all looking forward to hearing about the results. And now it's time for the last piece of this very first Metrocast puzzle that we're putting together, and we did in indeed save the very best for last. So... Bryn Bowen, current president of the New York Metro chapter, um, is here uh, about to speak with me on many a subject, and uh, I actually know for a fact that Bryn and I can 
talk at length about pretty much anything, and, and I dare say that's something to say because I can. Then we combine me with Bryn, and we're all in for a treat or in for trouble. But um, we're also just just to be be aware of this. We're in a in a place among other people who are not participating in our metrocast, so it is a little noisy at times. But we sort of thought that we'd all like to hear the hustle and bustle of Midtown New York City. This is Lauren again, here at the Metrocast Central, and I'm here in a snowy night, and note night, uh, with Mr. Bryn Bowen. Um, so he is, um, well, he's many things to many of us, uh, but currently, indeed, Bryn is the uh, chapter president of the New York Metro chapter of ARMA. And, um, and even if I didn't want to talk to him, I would need to talk to Bryn. But given that I need to, I'm so glad for the fact that I want to. So... I'm glad we clarified that, Lauren. <laughs> you know, I just, you know, for the record, we're putting it straight. But, you know, but there's... The titles that Mr. Bryn has, and there are many, and we'll get them into this metro cast um, as as time goes by uh, tonight. But what's really more important to me is having this conversation. Anyway, firstly, hi, Bryn. Hey, Lauren. Good to see you. Good to be here. I'm really thrilled about this whole metro cast thing. You know, it's uh, I think, and actually, by the way, having you as our hostess. <laughs> Yeah, flattery. Like a cupcake. <laughs> flattery will get you everywhere, and we'll have to figure out where I want to go. Uh -huh. But, you know, and it's interesting, uh, just a little background of terminology. If you haven't figured it out, I love words, and I like like using them well. You know, I'm the, definitely the hostess with the mostest, or so I'd like to think under certain circumstances. But I actually would like to de-genderize it. Ah. And um, and just call it a host. Um, by the way, Actors' Equity, many, many, many years ago, uh, the governing board voted to remove the word actress from all of their legal documents. So everybody's and an actor. So everyone, exactly. Everyone's an actor. So so it's not gender-based. Right. And um, so, you know, pardon me for being a little whatever, but I'd like to sort of bring this into a consciousness level. Well, you're like the host of the most, babe. <laughs> but it is where hostess works. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but here, here's the thing. This is so much fun because uh, oftentimes you and I are seeing each other and there's hordes of people right, and, right. and um, I, for one, keep getting distracted and you keep getting pulled off to talk about this or decide that or... Or, or whatever, and here's just the two of us. So I like our conversation to be about a few things. The, the industry, the work that we do, we'll get into that. But one of the things that I find just deliciously interesting is your background. <laughs> and I, and I, I know a tiny bit about it. About it, I would hate to be presumptuous to say I know a lot. 
Um, so, hence, you're going to share some things. But, um, and I've often and always thought that, you know, records managers, information managers, we professionals about making that connection of people and information, I, one of the reasons why I think we do it is because we come from so many different places and we hold within ourselves multiple perspectives that help us do our job and actually help us have fun with it. Absolutely. So you, Mr. Bryn Bowen, first of all, what is Bryn short for? And tell us the, sort of the story of that first name of yours. So Bryn is the uh, shortened version of an anglicized version of Bryn Moore, <laughs> which means, by the way, Little Hill. Go figure. Um, many, many, you know, rivers to cross, many mountains to climb. Um, so how did I come to records management? Well, it's, uh, or, or more, more broadly, information management. It's a long and tortured story. After I was, uh, after my first year of graduate school where I was doing a, uh, a PhD in chemistry, I realized that I really did not want to be stuck in a lab for the rest of my life. And, uh, Went to an employment agency where apparently the only marketable skill I had was programming, and the the, the uh, placement person uh, suggested I go on an interview with a law firm that was looking for a programmer to automate their offsite storage facility. No. Yeah. Well, well, all right. So before we get to the offsite storage facility, because clearly you did wonders because you're telling this tale. <laughs> But graduate school? Yeah. What were you studying in graduate school? And I think you actually finished, got the degree in the thing. Uh, I got a master's, but not didn't do the PhD. Couldn't couldn't hack that. <laughs> well, but I know for fact, and you've got to fess up. It's not was not an information management, although oddly enough, it was definitely relating to information in the broadest sense of the word. It was. So I was, uh, I was uh, in the chemistry department at NYU, and um, I was doing research on modeling reactive sites of proteins, believe it or not. And, uh, well, that was, I mean, it was actually quite fascinating work. It was just really lonely. <laughs> it was me in my glove box. Oh, dear. Like, in a lab by yourself? In a lab by myself. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, perfect... Um, ability to work in doing cataloging or something like that, right? Well, so, what did, actually, um, the thing that uh, I think my early years as a research chemist uh, brought to me as, a, as, an, as an information manager um, was the methodology. Or that's the primary thing. You know, the approach, that, you know, the, just being able to port the scientific approach you know, to research and, you know, you know so sort of systematically getting to the answer uh, through, you know, crafting experiments and, you know, and using the results of those things to further refine down the line. Um, you know, that whole process and, you know, how little things can make a big difference, you know, sort of molded my approach to, you know, to, to life in general, I think, but specifically to managing information, you know, in particular. So, it was well, useful. That's, I mean, and one reason why I, that, that's great, because the idea of a little change in an experiment has the ripple effect down the line, and if you don't follow protocol or in managing information and records, we would call a process, mm -hmm. if you don't follow it, 
you you lose you, you lose either information you lose control you, you lose and and you really don't want to lose a thing and you want to be able to manage it from start to finish absolutely so it's interesting one of the one of the odd little quirky things was um, a lot of the, the, the stuff a lot of the materials I was working with in, in my research were air sensitive and also incredibly sensitive to impurities. So all of my glassware had to be. I just want to stop you spotted. there. Impurities, and you're doing this. Yeah, I know. Oh, I know. Wow. Hard yeah. to imagine. <laughs> yes, but yes. Uh, back, back then, I was young and pure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I found out the hard way that if I didn't take care of my glassware properly. My, you know, I could set up an experiment, you know, for like half a day, and it would all just crumble because of some, you know, because of a dirty beaker or something. So, <laughs> well, but let me ask you, just sort of—it's bringing to mind a, a book that I'm reading. Actually, technically, I'm listening to mm -hmm. called "The Information: The The History." Shoot, the history, the theory, the deluge. Have you read it? I have not, but it sounds interesting. It's very interesting, and 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 it's it's very technically based on some of it. But there's some interesting anecdotes, and I I won't monopolize the conversation on them. But it's it's worth the read, and I would put air quotes around the read because um, I'm listening to it. The person who's reading it has a beautiful voice, and it's a way of I don't know. It, it's really it, this uh, it's the first time I've ever gotten an audio book, and I'm. I'm loving it. But one of the things he talked about, or talks about, because I haven't finished the book, talks about um, is how DNA uh -huh. is a information carrier. It is. It, it, so that's that's fascinating um, because you know basically DNA you know is a coded and a coder, a codee and a coder. So it's fascinating. I think it's a very good parallel. It is for, uh, for the for information transfer. Yeah. It is uh, completely, and it's like cracking the code. Yeah. And the human genome is all about this transference transfer of information and understanding it, and it's the information being transferred from you know, generation to generation in organisms, mm -hmm. but it's also transferred within the body because yep. it tells different parts of the body to do different things. Yeah. Damn that DNA. Um, <laughs> well, it's a, it really, and it really points out how fundamental the whole concept of information is. Yes, you know, yes. uh, which, by the way, is fascinating because, you know, I, I think what most organizations need to really come to grips with is that you know their information base is their most potent, you know, and vital asset. Yes. You know the knowledge of how to do what it is that they do, whether it's making you know soft drinks or you know structuring financial instruments. You know it's uh, it's all about knowing how to do that. And if you don't, you know, if that information is not you know properly managed or leveraged. You know, you know, or massaged in the right way, then it's either lost or wasted, or you know, just you know, it doesn't live up to its potential. Well, exactly. In fact, one of my back in the day, and not all that long ago, um, I I, I was, had the opportunity to work as a consultant, just as you are working now as a consultant, and we want to know a little bit more about that too, just just cause. But one of the things I loved about 
working as a consultant was that, I, that one, I felt like a sleuth every given day of the week. And, and I got to be nosy. I got to peer in under the hood, under the covers of, of organizations. Yep. And, and the organism of managing information was always very reflective of the organization. Yes. And I, and, and I, but my favorite, one of my favorite of my many favorite stories is something right on the, of the fact that you said making soft drinks. So I, I worked for this, uh, this company was a funny, um, had a little, had their fingers and everything. They sold gasoline, they had grocery stores, they right. also bottled soda, uh-huh. right? And so I go to their little factory, and I say little because it wasn't very big, where they were making the plastic bottles for the, the soft drink. And so, and these people were great, and they had a brand new machine, relatively brand new machine from France, who knew that France was at specialties in making plastic bottles. And, but the recipe, the recipe, the formula for the plastic was pinned up onto a brick wall with, huh. an, with a mason nail. I said, oh, what is that? They told me. I said, do you have other copies? Because half of it looked handwritten. It was typed up with lots of other notes around it. Oh, oh, oh no, that's our copy. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, um, and I'm thinking, vital record, vital record. Oh, my God, oh, my God. I said, so do you ever refer to it? No, we all know the recipe by heart. Okay, and when you win the lottery and don't have to be here anymore, would anyone be able I mean, what's going to... Anyway, they had no answer for me, but it was it was the bottle that actually... Yeah. <laughs> but it was the soda that you mentioned. But, it, but it's interesting how a simple thing like that yeah. and the lack of control, it could blow them out of the water and, yeah. and without a bottle. <laughs> so it's interesting because... Um, Particularly in in the services industries, you know, um, whether it's financial services or legal services or accounting services or even consulting services, they're not producing anything. It's all, you know, their widget is the information that they use to, you know, to do what they do. So, uh, you know, the advice that they render or the financial products that they structure. So um, I think it's particularly incumbent these days on, on, on the quote-unquote services you know, sector to really lead the charge in this regard because if their information is not in good shape, they will soon cease to exist. Well, it's almost like it's a combination of their raw materials mm-hmm. and then, and then of course, the learnings right. and experience that goes into leveraging that information as a, in a service agency yeah. or a business. And where, therein lies, you know, a facet of knowledge management, you know, which is, when it's done well, it's brilliant. When it's done badly, it's stupid. I mean, there's <laughs> almost no middle ground. Right. But, I mean, not that I've seen every knowledge management system or anything. I so have not, but that's sort of my my, my impression. It's I, you've either done it well and it's really good, and you keep that human contribution coming yeah. and properly tagged, so the, you know the organization has as, a, access to it. But or they build it, and it's great for maybe six months, and then it deteriorates because it's not maintained. Yeah, because it's not organic. You know, this is the thing. It needs to be, you know, any, 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 stru- well, anything that, pa- that, that calls itself a structure for 
you know, or a repository for information can't be a static entity. It's got to be, it's got to be organic because the very nature of, of, you know, information these days is changing rapidly. I mean, 10 years ago, could anyone have conceived of Twitter? <laughs> you know? I didn't, but then, but then I did used to make bird sounds. So I would tweet long before. Oh, very tweet of you. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, you know, all of the all of the quote unquote, and this is such a, a you know a general term, all of the social media sources, you know, are just I mean, those are really metastasizing in a way. Uh, and you know, that's, that's a strong word. I know. That's right? kind of but it's sort of got a negative connotation. It does it, indeed. You know? What's wrong with you? I know, right? But you know, so. But, but you know what? If we can ride that tiger, we can actually turn what, you know, could potentially be a fairly destructive force into a positive force, you know, and, and by guiding it and by leveraging it well. You know, so my, my, you know, my, my old analogy is, uh, and this is a fairly old analogy, information is like water. It's also like a 13-year-old boy, by the way. I, I say this because I've got, I've got the second of, of two, you know, uh, sons is, is 13, and I've been through this before. And on, the, by the way, I'm just saying, pretty much boys until they're significantly older than 13 are still about 13. Uh, they might advance to 16. I'm just saying, <laughs> and I and and you know, they've got to be at least in, you know middle half of their century yeah. before that's, that finally fades away. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't think it ever fades away. because. But here, here's what it is. It just, you know, they will do whatever they can get away with. Much like water. It'll go wherever you let it. You know, so water is a beautiful thing. Without water, life wouldn't exist. But then, if it's not channeled properly, or if it's just let to you know let loose, it can be a tremendously destructive force as well. Well, and also, it's an influencer without even seeing it. Right. I, water is the the most effective conduit of heat of temperature. So today, for instance. It's snowy, it's wet out, it's no colder, in fact, it's less cold than it was three days ago when it was dry. And so, it is an influencer. It becomes um, literally part of the fabric, just like information. Sometimes we don't even realize that's what we're dealing with. That's what... and. what I find so amazing. You can even, you can, things around you are information and things are informing. It's like, and, and we pick up on things. And those of us who are great, gratefully have the, the, as many as the senses as we can have of seeing and hearing and tasting and touching, you know, receive information. But then if you take one of those away, you know, the intensity of what how humans make up for it is also unbelievable. Yeah. And 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 it's and the strive is to gather all that information in any way possible. Yeah. I love it. It's uh, you know so and and the fact that uh, I think what makes us uh, us inter- information managers sort of a, a unique breed is that 
You know, to be a to be a really good engaged information manager, you have to have a fairly well developed degree of curiosity in life. Um, because sleeping. <laughs> because you really can't, you know. I mean, there's a there's a strong degree of perspective that you need to have when you do any sort of information management. You know, because you can't you can't just you know get into the weeds and not see the forest. You know, and but you uh, know goes to my, my one of my favorite personal sound bites. Which there is? are two types of people. Uh-huh. There are tree people and there are forest people. And I, I, IT developers, IT people often are tree people. Sorry, dear friends who I love so much. <laughs> but developers are tree people where the trees are in a row. Right. <laughs> so then information managers must be forest people. Um, Yes, absolutely. But, you know, the devil is in the detail. So we have to know that, you know, this rotting tree is going to fall. And is that good or bad? Or does it matter? Maybe, maybe not. Or But does it make a noise if it falls it, in the forest? It, it does. I'm it just does. saying. Yeah. I'm just saying. How about that bear? Bear naked? No. <laughs> See what I mean about perspective, right? I uh, know. Well, I always, yeah. Well, I, does is this why those silly bears are in those commercials for toilet paper? I think so. <gasps> oh no! I just I got so. that. You just got oh, that. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah. Grocerama is all I have to say. <laughs> it's barely legal. I was uh, <laughs> so. So, Brynn, all right, so you, you put it, going back to your, you put in this system back. Uh, way back of, when. Way the, uh, back when, and in, in, in the last century, I yeah, believe. Yeah, it was, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally the last century. Yeah, right. And, um, you know, so I left that firm and went to work for another firm in records now, um, you know, having sort of, uh, you know, half embraced, uh, you, know, you know, my role, and um, became very deeply deeply embroiled in that uh, and added an element of risk to what I was doing uh, because it was for a law firm and I was um, I became uh, sort of their new business intake risk manager um, you know and uh, and that was a whole other little beast of uh, of, a jo- of, of, a, of a career so just out of curiosity that that role and risk I mean that was in part part of the conflicts um, operation whereby, among other things, search tools to find relationships between one client or counterparty or what have you. Research, yes. Developing profiles of clients and, and parties involved in matters and then understanding how the work that your, you know, your group w- uh, was contemplating doing uh, could or could not or did not uh, present a potential conflict of interest. You know, um, so as a non-lawyer doing all of this, it was it was particularly fascinating uh, because probably you know it was probably easier for me because I didn't bring the baggage of, uh, of, of prior legal training. <laughs> right. Well, you well and right, but yet you are in an environment with attorneys. So right. I, I think records managers, information managers, librarians, archivists, we tend to be sponge-like around information. Right. Very much so, yes. Right, yes. and 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 I certainly have a very, you know, well, well, I'd like to think well developed, but definitely a strong view of, of how context allows for 
good decision making. Uh-huh. So and you 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 learn the context and right. what the drivers are. And, and one of the things I you know, if you don't understand the organization you are working for as a records and information manager or in, in, in any of those guises, you will not ever you not ever, but you it'll be a harder time for you to do a really good job. Right, you really right, need to right. take it in. So though you are not an attorney, I'm willing to bet that you you absorb concerns of theirs, and yet you had your own I fresh the, perspective. Right, the distance to be able to uh, to sort of focus on the task at hand. Yeah, it was, it was fascinating stuff. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think part of the reason I was able to do it um, as well and as long as I did was because I was... Um, I actually worked very closely, I call it an apprenticeship, because it really was, uh, with uh, the guy who became, in my opinion, uh, sort of like the foremost you know, expert on, on, on conflicts of interest in, in the legal industry, uh, because he had to be, because at the time, he was the general counsel for the world's largest law firm, <laughs> with a truly global reach. So, I mean, I, I think between, uh, at one point we said to each other, there is no conflict situation we haven't seen. You know, it's it, it, it was just that you know that huge, that big, that massive, that uh, that constant influx of uh, of new situations. It was very exhilarating, and uh, and it actually led me to uh, to my first uh, gig as a consultant because I thought, well, having learned all this uh, wonderful stuff, um, why not uh, you know set up my own shingle and uh, and go help the rest of the industry. And, uh, Superman. Yeah. <laughs> well. No, because uh, at this point, you know, I was, uh, while, while what I was doing uh, where I was was exciting, you know, it wasn't as challenging as it had been in the early days. Well, right, uh, because if, as you, you know, find the, the art of your own experience and knowledge, you know, it levels, the, the challenge levels off. Right, right. And so, I, you know, I had the opportunity in that first brush with consulting to work with a number of really exciting, uh, you know, companies, and, uh, primarily law firms. And, uh, and uh, it was just so tremendous. And then one of them hired me to come in-house again. Uh, and, right, that uh, was when you were with Green, yeah, uh, Greenberg. Greenberg. Yeah. And that was, in, that was in late 2007 when the, when the economic downturn was about to hit us. And so, so and little did you know in what no, I knew I knew actually that was going to happen. Uh, you know, no. Don't you remember feeling it uh, at the time? I, I did. And but so I thought the safer option, you know, having a uh, you know having mouths to feed at home, which would be to go in house and, and and do this fabulous work. And uh, and so being in house again actually allowed me to do quite a number of things, including setting up a, a national records program uh, for a 35 office, 1800 lawyer firm, which was really you know where one never existed, which was really challenging. I would think, and of course, you know, hurting lawyers are, is harder than hurting cats. I actually feel I could do that. Yes, and, and, and let it be noted that some of my best friends are lawyers. So are mine, <laughs> and I've, I had at one point seriously considered the law for a career. I could see that. I could, I could completely see that. I could actually see you as a judge. <laughs> and actually, funny you should say that. So... When I was seriously considering this, I was in the entertainment um, art, arts world, performing arts world, and they said, oh, you want, so you were thinking of being an entertainment lawyer? I said, hell no, I want to be a judge. And they said, a judge? I said, yes, I mean, let's just get there. 
Just so somebody could say, here comes the judge. I had not thought of that, but, but in reality, yes, actually. So, and I actually... Suck it to me. <laughs> <laughs> little, uh, little cultural references uh, for, for those of us of a certain age. And, and trivia pursuit is filled with it, so now I know, yeah. So, but, but yeah, the, yeah the, but the, the law is amazing, and I think to, for people who are attorneys, um, actually have to immerse themselves. But, and, and I, I, I personally, you know, value on so many levels, you know, that kind of thinking and, and attorneys. That said... I've said to their faces, they're not process oriented. They're not this. They're not this. They're, and, and you know, but you love them, and and you, I mean, and I do. Well, well I'm, they're the sophists of our time, right? I mean, you know. That's, uh, so that's these are, you know, it's it's uh, it's not an easy thing to become a lawyer. Uh, it's certainly one of the most difficult things in the, ever to become a partner at a law at a major law firm. Yeah. Because it's such a relentless distillation process that, uh, you know, it's no wonder some of these folks are a little, uh, a little uh, well, tightly wound. But, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. And demanding. But, you know, that's, uh, you know. But, they're, you know, they're very, very smart people. And, you know, anytime you have the opportunity to work with very, very smart people, it can only be a good thing. So, it is all, you know, and smart people, you know, there are those challenges, and and there's um, and those challenges are not bad yeah. if if we assume best intention. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I have found, um, and it's interesting in my mind, and I'm curious to hear your thought on it, is um, the binary nature of IT folks, the black and white, that the gr- that gray. That we, in, as from an information governance point of view and information management, there's gray that we need to navigate through, and we have to be okay with things that are not clear cut. And 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 when I say okay, it doesn't mean that we let it ride. At, you know, you, but but being in that environment, that you, you need to be. Picking up on the subtleties of the gray, and then making decisions to help make it sh- a sharp, sharper, be it black or white, or or at least a gray that doesn't keep shifting. And um, I, I have found that, um, and it's not exclusive for sure to IT folks, but and and not to pick on to one group or another. But I've been recently working with some IT folks on, on and they're helping me with assessments of um, applications and the content they're in. They, they want these rules that are this or that, binary, this or that, this or that. And we, I can't give them a single rule or even two rules that it's this or that. I can give guidance, I can give, you know, rules, with, but then I have to have a... a Everything's got a caveat. Always, except for, mm-hmm. or mostly, or it depends, mm-hmm. it always depends. So, I'm, I'm, sounds like you have the similar, you know what I'm talking about. I do, yeah. It's, um, so, but, you know, and, and not to get too philosophical here, but it's kind of a little philosophical. But this is the nature of life, right? I mean, life.
life is well more than Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I know, things to look forward to. But, but uh, I mean, that, so that's an interesting, so, so the, the quicker we embrace that concept of, you know, that there is going to be imprecision, the real challenge, the real challenge lies in how we manage the imprecision. Yes. How we how we corral it, how we how we leverage it, how we steer it, how we mold it. You know, that's really the, the essence of, of a successful, you know, uh, endeavor. You know, and um, and that's you know, and, and so so it's interesting because in very many places um, over the years, as information has exploded. The unfortunate thing is that, you know, technical people, because they manage the infrastructure within which information is housed, have been mischarged or mistasked. And mislabeled. And mislabeled with the, with, 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 with the duty of managing this very amorphous gray matter. And so basically, uh, you've asked people with exactly the wrong skill set to do this job. <laughs> And therein lies the issue. And that's why, I mean, that's actually partly why um, so much of the software that, you know, uh, that generates or manages information through the years has not really, uh, it's not really been, you know, uh, fully or as well developed as, as, you know, with, with the with the view of manage, you know, really managing information for the long term in mind. I mean, email email systems are a prime example. Email is still the primary uh, method of, of communica corporate communication. Um, That's and right. Yeah. And, 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 and yet, yeah. you know, everyone talks about their email problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so wh wh where's the disconnect here? You know, you know, on the one hand, not to sound like Topol and uh, and Fiddler on the Roof. On the one hand, you know, it's a, it's a business you know facilitator, and on the other hand, it encourages really bad information management behavior. Well, and and, and not only that, but the the instantaneousness of it and the ease of it. You know, back in the day, and this is really way back in the day. Basically, email is a is a is a vehicle for correspondence. It's and and, and indeed, it's the correspondence file or the chrono file, particularly around discovery. Right? You know, those chrono files were great. Were a treasure trove for discovery and hard copy of the world. Yeah. And email the same, but the thing about those correspondence files for businesses and whatnot, it took a fair amount of work to frankly make that letter or, or memo. You know, you had to put the paper, with or without carbon, into a typewriter, and this is assuming you're dealing with a typewriter, electric or otherwise, measure it up, you got to get this name, the address, and the date, and so forth. And then you have actually writes a fairly well composed thought. I mean, it has to be in paragraph form. And, and yes, yours sincerely was a was a nice as well as a thanks or see ya or whatever. But the, but the care of for 
producing it demanded a certain level of quality in that communication. Right. And now I mean, we don't have to do much of anything. Yeah, I mean, so that's you know, and, and that's that, and that's the way life has morphed. You know, life has uh, evolved. May not be the right word, but it's certainly that's the way it's gone. Um, and you know, and I and I get your point about you know uh, these days, you know these days, God, sound like an old guy. Uh, there's a lot of trivial communication um, because the the, the the platforms and the mechanisms are so much easier. So it, it, it sort of encourages trivial you know communication. You know, do you really need to, to tweet that you're having a sandwich for dinner? You know. I mean, back in the, you know, back when you know there was no electronic communication, that wasn't even an option. So yeah, it's uh, you know because the nature of communication has changed so dramatically. I think uh, to, you know ge the general rule is that technology always outstrips you know uh, humans' ability to really well, and corral and manage it. Yeah, it outpaces it. Yeah. So, um, one of the funny little anecdotal things from my book that I mentioned, from J James Glick, that's it, no. oh, finally, um, was when the transition, which was many years, took many years from the telegraph... Is that transition in a Bruce Jenner sense, or...? No, darling, not in a Bruce Jenner sense. Oh, okay. ha, ha, ha. Um, but the transition from the telegraph being the, the most ubiquitous instant communication to the telephone mm -hmm. was, I, I love this, so they they had to have these, um, you know, switchboards, these exchanges, right? So, because telegram, tele, selling, sending a telegram became less and less needed as more and more telephones right. existed, you had basically out of work telegram delivery boys. So they were the first operators. Interesting. And they were awful. They fought. They Because they had exactly the wrong skill set. They, <laughs> precisely. They, and they wrestled and so forth. And they were inconsistent. And they literally couldn't sit still. So some, some dude somewhere, and I'm sure it was a dude, thought, well, we'll hi start hiring women. They were great. They yeah. were willing to sit there. They knew how to be polite. They were patient. Because they had emotional intelligence, highly developed emotional intelligence from years of dealing with rambunctious men and kids. <laughs> right, right. Those 13-year-olds who happen to be 55. <laughs> that would be 52. <laughs> Pointing to you, sir. But, but let's go for that anyway. Anyway, but it, it but it uh, it also lends to to the the technology and the workers in the technology were soon to be transferable by and so your the IT people in charge they they don't see the whole picture. Yeah. They did not see or don't still. Anyway, God. You know, actually, truth be told, we can keep talking about this forever. 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 We <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, those oysters were delicious. They were. Do we, 
as is my Cuba Libre, which oh. hopefully soon I'll be able to actually drink in Cuba. Yeah, let's go for <laughs> Cuba. I so want to go. Don't, yeah, don't you? I mean, it's yeah. one, of those, one of those places I've always wanted to visit. Yeah, me too. So, you know, so, Bryn, to, to sort of sign us off for the moment, because we could keep talking, and we'll have to do this again sooner than to later. To be continued, yeah. To be continued. But, um, any, without naming names, any cool projects that you can share with us a little bit that you're now, because you're back to being consulting, and, and which is, you know, you get to look under the covers. Um, so I have. <laughs> I have. So I'm doing, um, one, of the, one of the really cool things I'm working on right now is a cloud-based uh, enterprise content management system implementation, which I've never done one of these before. And so this is a particularly fascinating uh, exercise for me because it's bringing a whole, you know, like pretty much my entire skill set to bear. Uh, and, it's, and it's really challenging and exciting. Uh, it's for one of my smaller clients, believe it or not. But they're very, very forward-thinking. And so, uh, you know, they wanted to, to literally move everything to the cloud. And so there we go. I'm, I'm helping them to do that. And another one, uh, you know, another really exciting thing that I'm working on is that one of my clients is one of the fastest, uh, actually it is, it has been the fastest growing uh, law firm in the country for the last six years, um, and helping them to stand up their information governance uh, program. You know, just try to think of that. Fastest growing law firm, six years in a row. Wow. Crying out for information governance, right? Wow. Well, yeah, and it's uh, and they're they're you know just they're just all into it and you know we're just we're, we're having a great time doing doing good things. That's really cool. But you know it's interesting when you say for the the ton, uh, the cloud-based content management system and small or not such a big organization that's doing it. Scale does matter, good, bad, good does, and bad, yeah. right? So. And, and the fact that um, a, a smaller organization is tackling this, interestingly to me anyway, it makes sense. Yeah. Because, you know, they're not dealing with quite the, the breadth and quite the complexity that size generates. And, right. and, and, and shoot, I fully expect to hear a case study, a little white paper or some such, from these, these two things, particularly... That could one. happen. That could happen. Yeah, well, I, you know, the, the records managers, uh, you know, teaching at Queens College, and I have students who are many walks of life, and they come into this, and, into library science from, from different points of view, and then they take records management for a variety of reasons. And I, and I always ask why. I think why matters sometimes. And, and, and how they perceive themselves in the world of managing information, again, in any walk. But what is interesting to me is how much they bring to it as these individuals and really how we as records managers are really, I don't know, I honestly think we're mostly people of the world, in the world at large. From the students all the time, all, all the time. God, there's the records at ARMA meetings are so nice. And 
they're so interesting. I go, yeah. But I don't go, oh yeah. I, I just let them say it because it's gratifying to hear it. And I go, yeah. We, we like we like to have fun because we know we, we take we take things in, from a in stride, but with a really unbridled appreciation yeah. of the many because aspects. We appreciate the value yes. of the assets that we manage. Exactly, and which includes people and perspective and etc. This is great fun. Isn't uh, it? It, it, and I'm, and we'll find out we'll find out if our conversation is a conversation that people want to share with us. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again. And Thank you. Signing off from um, the, the um, live bait. On 23rd Street. On 23rd Street at the foot of Madison Avenue. can't thank Bryn enough, um, and so I won't. I won't be able to do that, but thank you, Bryn. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Jean and Constantine. We are um, about to close this Metrocast. We're interested in what everyone else thinks. Please feel free to um, seek us out, um, either uh, via the, the website we have our all-day event where you'll see all of us there on March 10th. If you have some ideas of people or topics, um, I want to hear nice things for sure. No, seriously, we, we want your feedback. And I just have to say that I, I think the idea that we are doing this all together, um, that, we, that the chapter is reaching out to interesting people. Now, granted, this inaugural Metrocast may to many have some familiar folks um, talking on it, but uh, and we'll have more of such familiar uh, folks. Uh, and they're familiar because they do have really some insightful things to talk about. And, and it's nice to hear it in a conversation as opposed to in just a lecture or in the form of announcements. But we want everyone else to join that conversation. And I want to thank everybody for listening. And Jean, thank you for putting this together. It's been gr it's great fun, this first one especially. And, and we've all decided that you're a genius with this. So till the next time, this is Lauren Barnes with the Arma Metrocast sound bites that don't bite back. How about that? Thank you. <laughs>